Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I'm glad you are, too. Thank you so much for joining. Pray for discernment and ask God to show you how you can share this information with others and be a blessing. Welcome back to Sacrifices and Offerings Part 2. If you're back for more, that means you have a strong stomach and you weren't put off by the harsh reality of burnt sacrifices. It certainly was a messy business, but then again, so is sin. In our last lesson, we learned our sinful nature is the reason for the innocent animal's death. Our kata, our sin, which in Hebrew literally meant to fail or miss the goal. This is what kept us from being able to have a relationship with God and with others. So God lovingly gave instructions to his people in the book of Leviticus on how to atone, cover over the cost of their sin. For the wages of sin was death. But rather than God wiping out the entire human race, God demonstrated his love and forgiveness by acknowledging, yes, sin equals death, but that he would accept a substitute. God instructed the people of the Old Testament that an innocent animal's death could symbolically bring his people back into a right relationship with him. Through this sacrificial offering, God demonstrated to his people sin comes with a cost. We learned in our last podcast that it was the male head of the household that had to bring this innocent animal to the altar. And remember, the Hebrew word for altar means place of slaughter. The male would place his hand on the animal's head, and this would acknowledge that a death has to occur to pay for the sins. The blood of that innocent animal wrinkled around the temple by the priest as a way to purify the stench, the pollution, the pervasiveness of the sin. The blood would purify the relationship again. What a visual reminder this bloody mess must have been for the pervasiveness and messiness of sin in the world. We learned that the burnt sacrifice just couldn't be any old animal. There were only certain animals that could be offered as a sacrifice. A bull, which is a male cow, a sheep, a goat, or if you were poor, a dove or a pigeon. The animal had to be from their own flock or herd. And so this makes the payment personal, doesn't it? And it had to be perfect without blemish. Because remember, sin is costly. And can you imagine how painful it was for this humble man to bring his prized animal to the altar only to watch it completely burn up? Meat was a luxury, typically enjoyed only by the wealthy. And so this animal described in Leviticus was in the prime of its life. It would mean that it could probably fetch a good market price. Consider what a sacrifice it was to offer an animal which had been fed and raised and now was 
finally may be able to be productive and now you have to watch it literally burn up in smoke. But this innocent animal sacrifice again was teaching God's people the idea of a painful substitute for their sin. And instead of God ending their life, God was lovingly accepting a substitute for their payment of sin. Now, to the Hebrews, there was more than just the cost of giving up a good male animal. There was the time it took to travel to Jerusalem. Not everybody lives in the city, perhaps even the cost of lodging. The time taken away from work and family, not to mention the emotional toll. It took to think of your sins and then confess them out loud to the priest. Yeah, that was part of the sacrifice, openly confessing your sins. But then imagine the burden that was lifted when you literally saw your sins being taken away by the body and blood of an innocent. Your sins were burned up before your very eyes. When I was a youth director as part of many of our retreats, I would have the teens write out on a piece of paper things that they regretted saying or doing. And then we would prayerfully ask God for forgiveness. And then we would bunch up those pieces of paper and throw them into the campfire. It was such a powerful reminder of the fact that once we acknowledge our sins and seek forgiveness, poof, our sins are gone. They are literally burned up. God looks at us and says, what sin? Your sins are forgiven. You know, it would have been the same for the Hebrew people. They were learning how to acknowledge their shortcomings before God and to seek forgiveness. And then they were given this very visual image of their sins being removed. They, in effect, knew it should have been their life that was taken, but that God is a forgiving God and he had given them a substitute for their life. Now, aren't you curious as to how often these burnt sacrifices were done? You're probably starting to think that after a while, people would say, uh, I'm out, I can't afford this. Well, here's some really good news. The average person didn't need to march to the altar with an animal sacrifice every time they sinned because let's be honest, that could have been every day. So you might recall that the high priest, one day a year, on something called the Day of Atonement. They would bring two animal sacrifices into that very special place, the Holy of Holies. That's where God's presence resided. And this was for the forgiveness of sins for the whole community. During this Day of Atonement, the entire community ritually declared the holiness of God the sinfulness of Israel, and then collectively they would repent for the sin of the previous year. But this Day of Atonement was not just a one and done. It had to be repeated every year because the people were learning that there was 
really nothing they could do to rid themselves of sin. The repetition reminded them that they keep on sinning. And people needed to atone for the sins that they committed literally the day after atonement. Because God is holy. And anytime someone wanted to approach God, they had to acknowledge their sinful state and make an offering. The Bible tells us that there were some regularly scheduled times for the burnt offering. The Bible says burnt offerings were to be made every day, in the morning and then in the evening. So I kind of imagine people kind of lining up with their animals. Okay, next, next. Maybe they even had to, you know, take a number, kind of like a deli. And then the Bible says an additional burnt offering was to be offered up each Sabbath, so that's Saturday, and also at the beginning of the month, and then during special celebrations, Passover, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, and for the celebration of the new moon. But remember, not every person made sacrifices every day. For the average household, they'd make this pilgrimage probably about once a year. What were the reasons for the burnt sacrifice? Well, first, outright sin. It was not just a certain sin which required men to remain separated from God. Honestly, guys, it was their DNA. It's their sinful nature in general. It was their desire to constantly want to define, in their own mind, the definition of good and bad. Remember the story of Adam and Eve. But in addition to what I'll call general sin, the Bible also gave some specific times when a sacrifice would be required. And this is something called cleansing. And I know a lot of kids that would really, really have a problem with this. But let me explain. There were times like after childbirth when a woman would be considered, quote, unclean until a burnt offering was made. Or a person called a Nazarite, if they had contact with a dead body. I'm not going to go into that. Or if someone was a leper. Yep, I know, these all sound really strange to us. But the whole idea was to teach the Israelites, y'all are unclean in thoughts, words, and deeds, and you all need to repent. God again, is emphasizing his holiness and that to be in his presence, we need to acknowledge our sinful nature, our uncleanness. I really like how a Presbyterian pastor, this guy named L. Duncan, explains this. He says, quote, you see, God is showing his people the solemn thing that it is to come into fellowship with him. We speak of desiring the joy and the pleasure and the delight and the bliss of fellowship with God. And indeed, it is a joy and a pleasure and a delight, and it is our greatest bliss to come into his presence. But when we come into his presence, that joy is solemn, that bliss is holy, and that delight is fearful. It is not the world's trivial joy and delight. It's not the world's light happiness and lightheartedness. 
We are coming into the fellowship with a holy God. And this sacrifice reminds us that when we come into his presence, we come into the presence of the most holy. And so he draws a circle of awe around the altar and its offerings, unquote. Oh, that's so good. Now, there is some debate among rabbis about how many Old Testament laws there were. 613 or a mere 611. But regardless, there were a boatload. Can you imagine? So it's not unreasonable to think that God's people might unwittingly fail to observe one of God's commands and subsequently would be defiled. And so a burnt offering was required for the purification of the entire congregation, the priests, everyone. No one was exempt, not even the priests. If you have that many laws, you are bound to screw up. Now, just kind of backtrack, you might recall priests all came from the tribe of Levi, L-E-V-I. Remember the 12 tribes? These were named after the 12 sons of Jacob in the Old Testament. And priests can only come from the house of Levi. Now, not all Levites were priests, but all priests had to be Levites. And in order for the priests to approach God's holy place, they also had to acknowledge they were sinful. No one is perfect, not even the priests. Now, in addition to these burnt offerings, there's other offerings described in the Bible. And I thought these were kind of interesting ones. There's something called the grain offering, and this is pretty cool. The worshiper has to bring an offering, the Bible says, made of fine flour. The worshiper pours oil on the flour and then puts frankincense on it. Frankincense is basically made from the dried sap of a tree called the Boswellia tree. And this tree is found in, in different places, but mostly in Africa and the Arabian Peninsula. It's very rare and very expensive. And here's a little fun fact. Frankincense, in addition to being used in incense, is edible. And it apparently tastes sweet and smells like citrus. So you also might remember frankincense is one of the gifts the wise men brought to Jesus. But here, it's required in this grain offering to the Lord. So this is a huge sacrifice. It's costing the giver something. The worshiper for this grain offering then brings these 10 grain cakes to the priest and a portion is burned and then the rest is consumed by the priest. And then the idea behind this grain offering was acknowledge that they owed everything to God and therefore they should give them a portion of their daily bread. Hmm. Now, where have I heard that before? Give us this day our daily bread. That's how Jesus taught us to pray in the New Testament. Jesus was 
reminding us that God supplies everything that we need, including our daily bread. There's also something called a peace offering, and that was to give thanks to God. When the worshiper offers an animal from the herd, this time it can either be a male or a female without blemish. The worshiper lays their hand on the head of the animal, we understand this, kills it at the entrance to the tent of meeting, that sounds familiar. The priest throws the blood against the sides of the altar, again familiar, but listen to this. Then, for this peace offering, the worshiper offers the following, the fat covering, the entrails, the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver. And the priest takes all of this and he puts it on the altar and offers it up as a burnt offering. But then the worshiper eats the remainder. So peace offering is different than a burnt offering, isn't it? Because remember, in the burnt offering, everything is consumed by fire. But with this peace offering, the fat belongs to God, but the bulk of the offering is consumed by the worshiper. Now, did you know the Jews have laws about what they can and cannot eat? Perhaps you've heard of that word kosher. The Hebrew word kosher literally means fit, F-I-T. The laws of kosher define the foods that are fit for consumption for a Jew. And this will include animals that can be eaten, how the food is prepared, and even how and when it is served. Again, God is teaching his people the ability to distinguish between right and wrong, good and evil, pure and defiled, sacred and profane. Imposing rules on what you can and cannot eat kind of ingrains that kind of self-control, doesn't it? Any one of you ever try to go on a diet? It's not easy, right? You have to consciously think of everything that goes into your mouth. Well, God wanted to set his people apart from all the pagan nations, and meals, the simple act of eating, became a religious ritual. What specifically did the Bible say they could and could not eat? I'll quote, this is from Leviticus in chapter 11. It says, of the beasts of the earth, you may eat any animal that has cloven hooves and chews its cud. Any land mammal that does not have both of these qualities is forbidden. The Torah specifies that the camel, the rock badger, the hare, you know, rabbit, and the pig are not kosher because each lacks one of these two qualifications. Sheep, cattle, goats, and deer are able to be eaten. And then it goes on. Of the things that are in the water, you may eat anything that has fins and scales. Okay, think for a minute. What things from the water don't have fins and scales? 
shellfish, lobster, oysters, shrimp, clams, and crab are all forbidden. Fish like tuna, carp, salmon, and herring are all permitted. The Torah also lists forbidden birds. And the birds that can't eat are what we would call birds of prey or scavengers. Birds that are permitted are chicken, geese, ducks, and turkey. Rodents, reptiles, amphibians, and insects are forbidden. Okay, other than the burnt offering, the peace offering, and the great offering, there are many other offerings described in the Bible. Again, what was the purpose? And why have all these laws and regulations and hoops to jump through? How many of us, now let's be honest, would have bailed on this religion in about two minutes? We have a hard enough time even with 10 commandments, don't we? Well, the whole purpose was to acknowledge we all fall short. No one can perfectly obey 613 laws. No one can even perfectly obey 10. The laws were to help people understand their sinfulness and God's holiness. Remember, God has chosen the Israelites to be set aside as his chosen people. God wants to have a relationship with them. They need to learn about God's holiness. In the book of Leviticus, impurity and holiness, they're polar opposites. God is trying to teach the Israelites they must destroy impurity to maintain God's presence in Israel. God is giving visual reminders to help his people understand their sinfulness and the fact that they need a savior, a once and for all sacrifice for their sinful ways. Hopefully by now you can start to see why this was all so important. We are all unworthy to approach the throne of God because of our sinful nature. We mess up daily, hourly, minute by minute. So what's the good news? The good news is we have the fulfillment of the burnt offering through the innocent sacrifice of Jesus. And John the Baptist in the New Testament, he really had an understanding of this. In John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Unquote. John the Baptist knew the Hebrew Bible. He knew all about the burnt sacrifices and all the stories about innocent animals' blood being shed. And he's able to make this connection to now Jesus being what the world has needed the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. The author of Hebrews in the New Testament in chapter 10 verses 1 through 4 says this, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, they would not have stopped being offered, for the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all. 
and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of our sins. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, unquote. When we study the Old Testament, we see this ongoing futility of man's efforts to make amends for his sins. And then we see this acknowledgement that the only way to approach the throne is through the death and resurrection of Jesus, who came as the Lamb of God and died once and for all for our sins. That's why there's no longer any need for this burnt offering. Jesus' death on the cross was the ultimate and perfect sacrifice. There's no need for further sacrifice. Only a perfect man without sin could pay for the sin of man. The debt was paid and at a huge cost. It cost God his only son. John 3.16 puts it this way. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not die but have eternal life. It cost Jesus his life, didn't it? And then in Luke chapter 22, verses 19 through 20, we have this. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Wow, when we look at the words that Jesus told his disciples during the last supper, in light of our new understanding of sacrifice, don't his words take on even more power and significance? The body and the blood of the lamb offered as a once and for all sacrifice for us. So, whew, what a sigh of relief. We no longer need to make offerings and sacrifices. Woohoo! I mean, you know, truly with auto withdrawal and online giving, it's almost mindless to give to churches nowadays and our debt's been paid. So we get off easy, right? Well, maybe we're actually guilty of what the Jews in the Old Testament were guilty of. In the Old Testament, we read that the Israelite worship sometimes deteriorated into ritualism and it kind of became sort of rote and meaningless. Does that sound like our worship sometimes? The intended faith and obedience, which was supposed to come from their sacrifices and offerings, didn't happen. In fact, Micah really called them out on this. He says, with what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my religious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, 
what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Remember, the whole point of sacrifice was to repair the relationship with God and others through faith and obedience. This same faith and obedience is expected of us today. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 16. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. End quote. Man has chosen sin time and again since the very beginning. Jesus lived his life as a sinless man, a man without spot or blemish. He lovingly, willingly offered himself as the once and for all sacrifice for forgiveness of our sinful nature. We've learned that a sacrifice is not a sacrifice without a cost. The sacrifice of Jesus came at a huge cost. It cost God his only son. It cost Jesus his life. It cost both God and Jesus to do this. It is a huge gift to mankind. What will we do with it? What sacrifice are you going to make this week for the Lord? Have a blessed day. Thank you so much for listening to studentofthebible.com. If you liked what you heard, why not suggest this website to others and like me on Facebook, Student of the Bible. Have a blessed day and look for opportunities to be a blessing to others.